John chapter 5. I'm so very thankful for the hand of the Lord that's on this church. When I walked in today into my office, I just felt that resident spirit, resident presence of God. I miss that when I'm not here. It felt so good to be home. felt so good to be in the house of the Lord. I want to thank all of you that prayed for us this week as we preached Louisiana Count. And God was good to us. We'll share a little bit about that tonight. Some of the miracles that God did and is still doing. And we give God great praise for that. John chapter 5. After this, there was a feast of the Jews. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is at Jerusalem, by the sheep market, a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue, Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, of blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. And whosoever then first after the troubling of the water stepped in was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. And a certain man was there which had an infirmity thirty and eight years. When Jesus saw him lie... He knew he had been now a long time in that case. And he said unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? When Jesus saw him lying there, he could tell it had been this way for a long time. And he asked him a question. Will you be made whole will you be made whole I can hear the resounding call of the Holy Ghost in this house this morning reaching for the heart of someone who came to this place in a condition that you've been in in a long for a long time whether it be in your mind in your body in your emotions but the Spirit of God is asking the question in this house today wilt thou be made whole wilt thou be made whole. I want you to look at your neighbor this morning and I want you to tell them this for me if you would. It's on you. You may be seated in Jesus name. Thank you so very much for standing in honor and respect to the word of the Lord. Amen. John chapter 5 over the last 25 years or so has been one of my favorite chapters to preach. It's really no different than my story and your story. That this man's life for 38 years was an absolute wreck. He had been in the same place, doing the same thing, getting the same results, the same old life, Every day. The legend has it 
and we read about it in the scripture. It's very neat if you ever study it out, but the legend had it that at a certain time there would be an angel that would come down and stir the water up. And that whoever got in the water first got their healing. Now there's some really crazy things that we could talk about. We could talk about what it was that really made the water stir. We could talk about whether an angel, whether it be the overflowing of another fountain, whatever it would be. But here is the part that I identify with in my life. There have been seasons and times where I felt like I needed my touch. But somebody else got their touch and I didn't get my touch. Somebody else got their healing, but I didn't get my healing. And Jesus walks up to this man that has been there for a long time. And he said, sir, would you like to be touched today? Would you like to be healed today? And he started with his excuses. Well, here's what you need to understand, sir. Every time I feel like it's time for me to get my touch, that's when the water is stirred. And I wish it was my turn, but somebody else always gets ahead of me and Somebody else always gets blessed when I want to get blessed. You do understand that he's telling the story of why he's not blessed to the blesser. He's giving God manifest in the flesh every every reason for why he hasn't been blessed. Sometimes when we go to the Lord, we don't go to him asking him to make us whole. We go to him and tell him, Every reason why we shouldn't and haven't been made whole. It's going to be tough in here for just a minute. I get the feeling. It's difficult for God to have his way in our lives when we constantly remind him why we don't deserve his goodness. Why we don't deserve his blessing. Why we don't deserve his grace. Why we don't deserve his mercy. But I want to tell you today that the very nature of the grace of God is the idea that it is unmerited favor. The very nature of the grace of God today is that I do not deserve His grace. I do not deserve His mercy. But while I was yet a sinner, He died for me. It's not about what I deserve. It's not about how good I've been. It's not about what I have to offer him. I've come to tell somebody today that feels like the only thing you have to offer God is broken dreams and ambitions and shattered dreams that you wish could have been different. That may be like all you feel you have to lay at his feet today, but God knows how to take those broken dreams and those broken vessels and make a difference in your life. But you've got to let God work. You've got to let him work. I could talk to you for a long time today about, um, about the five porches. I, I, I could preach for a while on that. That's not where I really want to go. But I have preached. Man, I wish I had a $5 bill for every time I preach from John 5 in my life. But there is some powerful understanding about these gates, these uh, these porches, if you would. The Bible said that they were by the sheep gate. In other words, they were where business was happening. These five, these five porches were uh, in a place where you were close enough to see good things happen. 
but not well enough to be involved in it. They were close enough to the gate that they could see commerce, but they had no way to be involved. This was a place of brokenness where everybody that was on a porch, they were there for a similar reason as you. Maybe you were blind and so you were on the blind porch. Maybe you were deaf, so you were on the deaf porch. But I tell you that a place like that can mess with the psychology of a person. Because when the only people you're around are people that are down. Can I preach to you from an old country boy thought today that birds have a feather? They flock together. Can I tell you, you can always find blind people that will encourage you to stay blind. Can I tell you, you can always find broken people that don't want to be fixed. And because they don't want to be fixed, they don't want you to be fixed. Because if God fixes you, then he takes away their excuse to be broken. You can always find people that want to be in company with misery because misery. Oh, y'all are preaching to me now. It's not hard to find blind people when you're blind. But it's very, very difficult to change the psychology, the psyche of a person. That the only thing they ever hear is brokenness, blindness, lame crippled I can't walk you can't walk I can't be whole you can't be whole we didn't get our turn last time we're not going to get our turn this time I wonder who's going to get in front of me the next time the waters are troubled I wonder who's going to get in your way the next time well I can tell you this right now that if you really really want to touch it doesn't matter who tells you to be quiet or who tells you to sit down if you'll get the spirit of old blind Bartimaeus when Jesus came passing by. He said you can try to quiet me down. But there's something in me that wants to be whole. And the Bible said that he lifted up his voice. And he said Jesus thou son of David have mercy on me. Can I tell you it's on you today. If you want Jesus to touch you. All you've got to do is reach out and touch him. As he's passing by. This is going to sound a little bit uh, personal. It's not. It's strictly from observation of being in the kingdom of God and doing this thing that we call ministry for a long time. But I've watched people throughout my ministry. I've watched people in the ministry of my father and my grandfather. That whenever they would get frustrated that they weren't getting what they felt like they need to get. They would always find a way to blame the church for not getting what they need. Now, I don't really just like to point people out for the sake of embarrassing people, but this woman can't be embarrassed. Sister Carol Worthy, when I was a kid, I don't even know if she realizes this, because was, she was kind of being funny, but she was very sincere. 
She taught me a lesson that I'll never forget. And I don't know that she knew she was teaching, so thank you. But my dad was preaching. We were in a hot season of revival. God was really working in this church. I believe he's really working in this church right now. But God was working in this church. Sister Carol came to church one night. And she had a big old wooden spoon and a big old wooden fork. And she put on a bib. She sat down on the front row while my dad preached. And when he took the pulpit, she said, feed me, pastor. Now, I know that sounds silly and might sound goofy to some of you. But I learned a lesson. If you're hungry enough, you'll sit down at the table and get something to eat. Now, my mom taught me a lesson, and she did know she was teaching. And I knew she was teaching. She taught me a lesson that if you don't like what's been put down in front of you, you don't have to eat. But if you're still hungry when dinner's over, you're not touching the cupboards. She's not here today. She'll be here tonight. Don't tell her I said this. My sister, and it's hilarious now. My wife can tell you it's absolutely hilarious. Because my sister has found her stride in the health movement. Like she's all about health and she, I'll, I'll call her, what are you doing? Or FaceTime, you know, and she'll have some kind of weird concoction. I'm like, what is that? It's like wheat grass and goose hockey and all kinds of green looking stuff, you know. Like, what in the world is that? Oh, it's to cleanse my gallbladder. And hey, you know what? I believe the body will heal itself. I do believe that. But when Jody was a little girl, she refused to eat certain vegetables. It was hilarious. It was hilarious. So one night, my mom, we, were, we had settled down off the road and we were living here in Anderson. My dad was preaching. Was pastoring here. We lived back in the parsonage where Brother Jordan and Sister Caitlin lived. And my mom had prepared a great supper, which was her way. My mom was a, a great, great cook. Her mother raised her to be a good cook. And my mom always fed us really, really well. And that night, for some reason, she had made a vegetable medley that had like peas and carrots and different things in the medley that I personally enjoy and it's probably because my papa Bingham used to shove peas and carrots and whatever he was eating down my throat and when I didn't want to eat he I'd sit on his knee and eat and he'd say come on bud one more bite one more bite and he'd put it in you know thank you papa you've made me the man that I am thank you so much for that so Jody eats everything on her plate except for the vegetables And Sister Judith Sue said, Jody, you're not getting up from the table until you eat your vegetables. She said, Mom, I don't like those vegetables. She said, you're not getting up from the table till you eat your vegetables. So Jody starts picking up peas and carrots just like they're a pill, holding her nose has a glass of water and starts putting them a whole pea in her mouth, take a drink of water, 
and swallow it down. And then she got to crying and snotting and bawling and squalling, had the ugly face all tore up. <laughs> What's wrong with you, Judge? Mom, make me eat my vegetables. At which point she began to gag. And my sister sat at the table in front of her plate and puked up peas and carrots in her plate. Now, I'm not going to tell you what my mother did after that. But I'm going to tell you right now that the reason my sister was hungry that night was not because the meal was not provided. She was hungry that night because she refused to eat what mother had set down in front of her. I'm saying to some starving child of God in this place today that the reason you feel so hungry is because God has been trying to feed you. Now I want you to think about this. I'm going I'm, I'm to preach practical. I'm going to get where I'm going. But I'm going to preach practical to you for just a minute. I want you to think about a principle. Somebody shout every day. day. That's how we live for the Lord. Every day. I know once we get professional in our Pentecostalism, it usually shifts to Sunday and Wednesday. But we're supposed to live for the Lord every day. Anybody in here ever fasted more than a day? You ever fasted three days? Oh, good God Almighty. Fasted a week? Ooh, I want you to think about this. If the only time I chose to eat was on Sunday and Wednesday, but I didn't eat on Monday and Tuesday, I didn't eat on Thursday, Friday, or Saturday, is it any wonder that I'd be so hungry when I came in on Sunday morning or perhaps even That I got so hungry by Saturday that I just went ahead and filled myself up on junk food. See, I've I've played that trick before too. Tell my mom that I'm full, then go to Papa's house and get ice cream. And some of us, the reason why we're not eating the Word of God and eating that book every single day is because we'd rather have ice cream than we would the book. If it's not sugar-coated, we don't want it. If it tells us, oh, Lord Jesus, somebody help me in the house. I'm feeling my help now. If it's not a sugar-coated message, we don't want it. If we've got to pick up the book and it says it's on you, if you want to be healed, if you want to be touched, if you want to be changed, if you want to be better. I am, I am a living, breathing Walking, moving testimony of the goodness of the Lord. And I want to give God thanks in front of this congregation today for Nutter Bars. If you have never had a Nutter, what's it called, Lauren? Nutter Buddy? If you've never had that little yellow box of greatness, you're missing out. They are not healthy, and I don't eat them very often. But this week when we got to camp meeting, they had a box of them in our gift bag, our gift basket. 
And I started dancing and shouting, giving God praise for a Nutter Bar, Nutter Buddy. It's a little chocolate-thin wafers with peanut butter in between of goodness and greatness. It's so good. But you know what? I ate one of those pack of two. I ate one of those. I felt sick to my stomach. Because I don't have a steady diet of junk food. Well, I want to give you a little principle about how the body works. If I would do that for a month, and every time I ran out, go get me another box and just keep eating Nutter Butters, after a little while, that's what my body would start craving. And I wouldn't be satisfied unless I had it. You can train your body to want nothing but junk food. You can train your system to literally crave it until you, it's, they, say, they say that sugar is more addictive than crack. That you can train your system that all you want is the sweet and the good. But can I tell you another thing too, when you've been raised on good old home cooking, every now and then you just start getting your body used to meat and potatoes and good vegetables. And believe it or not, you're going to start craving Brussels sprouts. I've watched them kids. You eat spinach. No, it's gross. How you know it's gross? Because it looks gross. You ever tried it? No. And I'm not going to start. That's usually when I look over at my wife and say, they better be glad they're not mine. <laughs> Don't you love that? When you prepare a meal for somebody, set it down. Ew. That's Gross. I was threatened a few times when I was a kid on the evangelistic field by my mother. And I knew the threat was sincere when she talked through her teeth. Aunt Tricia, she told me, when we get in that house, you eat whatever they put on the table. And if I hear you say one word, I will whoop your tail when we get back to the trailer. Let me tell you right now, I loved Brussels sprouts right then. <laughs> But there's something that you have to understand about taste. It's acquired. You may not like beets and you may not like green beans and you may not like spinach. But if you'll eat it after a while, you start getting an acquired taste. But I'm fixing to come on. So just get ready. The tea, the ball set up on the tea. Is everybody ready? The problem with modern religion is that we have absolutely got our taste acquired to the sweet things of the world. And we don't want the good meat of the Word of God when we can have it sugar-coated. We feel like it's going to make us well because it fills us up. But not everything that fills me up is what I need to fill me up. I know you're probably going to judge me when I say this, but yesterday, on our way home from Louisiana, which is 754 million hours away from here, my girls were riding in the back of the van, and they kind of got bored after a while, so I handed Graceland my iPad, and they, they watched Andy Griffith. I feel the darts coming at me right now. I'm so sorry. They watched Andy Griffith. I couldn't see it, obviously. I was driving, and I don't remember any of the names, but I remember the story, and I'm trying to hurry because I want to get where I'm going. 
But the story was this old woman in Mayberry that was on medicine. And a new pharmacist, if I understand it right, a new pharmacist came to town. I think it was the old pharmacist's daughter. And told the old woman, you've got to have a prescription for your pills or I'm not giving it to you. So this old woman goes home and pouts and sulks. And it upsets Andy, the mayor, or the the sheriff. It upsets Sheriff Andy. That this old woman in his community that needs those pills to stay alive is not well because the new pharmacist said there's a new way you got to do this and you've got to have the prescription. So he fusses back and forth with the pharmacist who happens to be a lady. That's kind of neat. Neat little storyline there. He might have thought she was cute, you know. And so he's fighting back and forth with her. Now this old woman needs them pills. She said, well, if she wants them pills, she'll get a prescription and get the pills. So Andy goes to the old woman's house, and when he comes in, man, she's down. She can't even hardly, but how you doing? Whatever he called her by name. She said, well, I'm getting close to the end. I'm about to die. She said, I'm, I, she said, I'm going down quick. Oh, my goodness, if I just had my pills, I'd be better. I'm driving down the road, I'm listening, I'm like, I think this will preach. And the pharmacist comes and knocks on the door. Andy and Aunt B had brought some soup to cure and fix and help the ailing woman that was at the point of death. And the pharmacist, she knocks on the door and has some soup. And Andy says, well, I'm surprised to see you here today. Sound kind of like Joel Osteen, don't it? And so the woman walks in and she says, here's your pills. She said, oh, my pills, thank you for my pills. You know, it goes on and on about my pills. And when they walked out, what I'm trying to get to is, Andy said, now, what softened up your heart to finally bring her those pills? She said, well, I thought it was for the better good. I I figured I should bring them to her, uh, even though she should have had a prescription. He said, well, if she's supposed to have a prescription, why'd you bring them? She said, well, because, Andy, the pills aren't real. She's been on placebo pills For years, she said, all it is is just a sugar pill. He said, you mean that pill don't make her better? She said, no, it just makes her think she's better. God bless you, you're dismissed. What I'm saying to you is not everything that makes you feel like you're better. Well, I feel better when they don't preach against this sin. And I feel better when they don't talk about that sin. It may make you feel better, but it sure won't heal your soul. You know what I'm saying today? If I'm going to be healed, it's on me. I'm going to have to take him at his word. I'm going to have to get in that book and get that book in me. If you want to get well, you've got to heal the sickness. You can't take a sugar pill of the Word of God and say, Oh, I feel so much better. I have eased my conscience. I feel like I've been to church today. I don't want to just go to church. I want to be made whole. Preacher, you can preach anything you want. Just don't tell me what I shouldn't do.
I will increase the giving. We'll fill this place up. I wish I could tell you right now how many promises we've had through the years of people that would say, if you'll stop preaching this and just ease up on preaching that, we'll fill this church up. But guess what? The church that they leave this one and go to, it's never filled up. Because you're not going to fill up a church of people that are healthy at all if the only diet you give them is snicker bars and hard candy and fudge. Can I tell you that right now? We need the meat of the word of God to get down in our souls and help us understand that except a man be born again of water and of spirit, he cannot see or enter the kingdom of heaven. It's a candy kind of message. It's a candy bar message that all you've got to do is confess with your mouth and believe Believe in your heart. If that were the case, then James said that the devils also believe and they tremble. If all you had to do was believe, then the the devil himself would be saved. But the Bible tells us in the book of Acts, the 19th chapter, that when the apostle walked on the scene, he asked him the question, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? He said there's more to this than just believing. You've got to have the Holy Ghost. They said we didn't even know there was a Holy Ghost. He said, well, how were you baptized? They said, under John's baptism. He said, well, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He said, you've got to be baptized on the name of Jesus Christ. And do you know that that day, that day, all of those folks who had been given a candy message that all you've got to do is just tell God, I'm sorry. Every single one of them were baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. It's a meat message that will save your soul. If you understand that repentance is not a prayer, it's a lifestyle. (laughs) The other day, I was listening to a preacher preach that I respect his ministry very highly. Someone asked him the question. He was preaching a camp meeting. And someone asked him the question about church growth. They said, how is it that you've had so many people receive the Holy Ghost over the last several months? He said, they said, it's like people get the Holy Ghost all the time, every weekend. He said, it's because we preach the Holy Ghost every weekend. You're never going to get what you don't believe. So you can't just sit at the pool and tell the Lord every reason why you shouldn't have to have the Holy Ghost. The question is, will thou be made whole? Notice he didn't ask him, do you want to stay sick? Because you don't have to say or do anything to stay in your current condition. You don't have to have any desire to change anything to stay sick. But Jesus said, if you want to get well, I need to know, do you want to be well? Watch how we are. We approach God and we're like, well, I would probably go to that church over there. But I'm not sure that all that's necessary. I'm not sure that you have to have the Holy Ghost. I'm not sure that you have to be baptized in Jesus' name. I'm just not real sure that all of that is necessary. I like what I feel. I feel what I like, but I'm going to let something trivial stand between me and feeling what I like and liking what I feel.
Because we're a generation of people that's based on feelings. We'd rather go where it feels good. Anybody in here ever dislocated a shoulder, a joint, a leg? Somebody tell me a little something. Brother Sawyer, how'd they get your joint back in? Did that feel good? When it, when it was out of alignment, you mean you went through some pain to put that joint where it belonged? Something was out. Something wasn't right. And the only way to get it back in there was to go through a moment of pain and understanding. When you feel the pain, you know that's not where that's supposed to be. But they say that there is a relief when that joint goes back in to where it's supposed to be. The pain begins to go away. You know why? When you get jointed up with Christ and you get lined up with the word, it may hurt when you come and you find out where you've been wasn't right. But when you get lined up with God, your life just feels better. Feels better. Pastor, I line myself up with other doctrines. I line myself up with other things. And, I, I, you know, I'm just not real sure. I still felt good when I went there. So I, it must just be that God has blessed it. If I felt good, then God's honoring it. There was a, a church, and I, I don't say this at all to be ugly at, at all. I'm not casting stones. There was a church that came to this city several years ago. And I remember their idea, their mantra when they came was to make the common, common people feel comfortable when they came. And so we had some, some, some folks that had kind of got sideways and left and backslid, and they went to that church. And instead of going to that church and staying at that church, they actually went and came back here and said, I'm sorry. But when they went to that church, they said they walked in in the lobby, and everybody got their breakfast. The church provided breakfast. It was cereal and yogurt and, I guess, donuts and all this stuff. He said they walked in the lobby and everybody got their breakfast and they went into the sanctuary and sat down and ate breakfast while the praise team sang. He said then the, the teacher, they didn't call him the pastor, he said then the teacher came out and taught. And so while he was taking his Bible text, we all finished up our breakfast and people came through and served us and we put our, our dishes and whatever in the trash. As they walked through and served us, he, he finished up his, his lesson and then we left. Well, I don't pass up breakfast very often. I, I thank God for breakfast. But I'm going to tell you, it's a bad time to be eating breakfast while somebody's trying to preach the word. Now, I'm, I'm saying this to make a point. I want you to hear me. I'm not, I'm not throwing stones at people, but do you know that church didn't last? It shut down. When they asked the pastor why it was shutting down, he said, because the mission that we started off to be got messed up. He said, our purpose for existence as a church got messed up. And I, again, I don't mean this to be ugly, but the problem is the purpose of the church was wrong from the start. He did not purchase a church with his own blood to make everybody feel comfortable in their sin. His blood was to redeem me from my sin, not to leave me in my sin. But if you want to be free this morning, it's on you. It's on you. Somebody say amen or oh me. <laughs> so, 
I came across this story, and I've never really followed the guy, but you'll recognize the name. I've seen him from time to time show up in historical documentaries and things, but because of the nature of what he did, I just never really was extremely interested. I thought he was intriguing, but his name is Harry Houdini. Anybody know who Houdini is? Harry Houdini was a illusionist, escape artist, whatever. Uh, very, very intriguing guy. And he got on this deal for a while that they would take him to a prison or a jail and leave him in there and he would break out like he wasn't arrested. It was intentional. He'd go in the jail and he'd break out and he'd, he'd come out and they'd say, there is no jail that can contain this man. It was kind of a neat deal. There is no prison that can contain this man. They put him in max security prisons and he'd come out. I, I was reading this week. That one of the tricks that he did, one of the first jails, I hope I'm not boring you to death with this story, but I'm going somewhere. He said one of the craziest breakouts that Houdini ever did was when he put him in a jail, I believe it was in Boston. And there were some pretty hardcore criminals in that prison. And they said uh, that Houdini actually had broke out of his jail cell within two minutes. But that in 12 minutes... From the time they put him in, he came walking out into the warden's office. So if he was in there for two minutes, what happened to the other ten? They said that in that ten-minute time period, he took this notorious prisoner out of this cell and put him in this cell and took the guy out of this cell and put him in this cell. And he did that all the way down the prison road. They said he took every prisoner out of their prison cell and swapped them with the next guy. So that when the warden came in to see how he got out of his cell, every single prisoner was in the wrong cell. They said there was no prison that could contain Houdini. Now, I can't validate this story. I've never read biographies of Houdini. I don't know anything about it, but I, I can tell you the sources of it. There was a guy by the name of Zig Ziglar. Anybody heard of Ziglar? He's a help yourself author. Self-help. Ziegler wrote a story about Houdini. I wasn't there. I don't know. I can't tell you anything about it. Zig Ziglar said it. So if it's false, take it up with zigzag. Zigzag. Zig Ziglar said that Harry Houdini went into a prison, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, it was in the state of Louisiana. And he said that they took him to this prison that was closed down. It was the max of the max. It was so bad that they closed the prison down and wouldn't let anybody stay in there. And they said, we believe we have found the prison that Harry Houdini cannot get out of. And so they took Houdini and he said, I will accept the challenge gladly. And they took him in. They put him in, closed the cell. And they said that for two solid hours, they put him in. He took off his belt and pulled out this long, uh, like what I would think of cable. It was an, uh, uh, an abrasive cable. And they said for two hours in that hot cell, he sawed and sawed and sawed and sawed trying to get the lock to break, trying to figure out a way to get out the door. And they said that Harry Houdini was so exhausted from sweating that he was dehydrated and wore out. They said finally he was so tired that he put the cable down because he couldn't get the door open and he leaned his head forward on the cell and when he did, the door popped open. Harry Houdini 
the escape artist could not escape from an open door. We got people in this house this morning that are trying to come up with an escape plan. But I want to tell you the door is already open. You've been working yourself to death trying to figure out how to get in the good merit of God. But I'm telling you today, if you'll be made whole, you can be made whole. They said, he leaned forward on that door and it just opened up. And they said, we never locked it. We closed it to make you believe that you were locked in. Can I tell somebody this morning that feels like you're locked up in chains of sin and addiction? You're not as locked up as you think you are. I know the devil's told you it's over. I know the enemy's told you you're finished. But here's the truth that he didn't tell you. He don't have the key to the door. Here's what we believe at First Pentecostal Church. We believe that he that the Son has set free is free indeed. And when he went to Calvary and they laid him in a tomb, Peter said it like this, that for that three-day period that he was in the heart of the earth, in hell, and there he took the keys of death, of hell, and of the grave. Can I tell you today that Jesus has the key that will unlock the door of your life, but it's, it's on you. If you want to be set free, you've got to come this morning to the man that has the key. Let's stand together. Houdini, the master escape artist, nobody could teach him anything except for how to walk through an open door. I'll tell you something about sin that'll do to people, and I don't mean this ugly, don't take it wrong. But sin makes people feel like they're really, really smart. Because they'll make statements like, it'll never happen to me. I'll never overdose. I'll never get pregnant. I'll never get the disease. It'll never happen to me. And it makes people believe that they're so intelligent and so invincible that it can never happen. But here's the sad truth. Often it does happen. And to some of you, it's happened in this house today. And you've let the enemy convince you that because it's happened to you, that you're an unusable vessel. But I feel like encouraging somebody in Jesus' name today to look around this room before you leave this house. This house is full of testimonies of people that the enemy said, I've got them right where I want them. I've got them locked up right where I want them locked up. But they realized on a Sunday morning just like this right here, if I'll just push on the door, the door is already open, but it's on me. Nobody can repent of your sin for you. Nobody can be baptized in Jesus' name for you. Nobody can get the Holy Ghost for you. But if you wanted to Today, it's in the house. It's in the house. I'm going to make a statement that probably sounds way too elementary for some of you to buy into, but just stay with me right here. There are individuals in this house right now that you are literally one decision away from a completely different life.
Think about it. If you're in this house this morning and you remember the first time you came to church on a Sunday morning or a Sunday night, whenever you came for the first time, you remember how intimidating it felt to walk through the doors. I want to see your hand. If you ever backslid and walked away from God and you remember how crazy it felt to walk in the church for the first time again, let me see your hand. It's awkward. Pastor, why'd you do that? I did that for that one person in this place today that says, mm, I don't know, this feels awkward. I don't, know if, I don't know if I should step out today and make my way to the front because people may look at me and people may judge me and people may have ideas about what's wrong with me. Well, I just want to set your mind at ease today. You're not the first person in the world that's ever messed up. You're not the first person that's ever made a mistake. But you're also the kind of person that Calvary was for. You do understand that Jesus could have healed anybody and everybody at that gate that day, at those porches that day, at Bethesda that day. He could have healed anybody. But he walked up to that man and said, will you be made whole? Can I tell you right now that of all the thousands of people that have driven by this church since we started service, you're in this house today, right now, and Jesus is asking you, will you be made whole? So with every head bowed and every eye closed, here comes the question. Wilt thou be made whole? If you will, it's on you today. You've got to take a step towards Jesus and let him know that you're ready. And I'm going to make you a promise. If you'll step towards him today, he'll come meet you wherever you are. He'll meet you wherever you are. He doesn't hate you because of your failure. He loves you in spite of your failure. He doesn't hate you because of your sin. He loves you in spite of your sin. If you're in this house battling with secret addictions, you can step out right now and get relief from that. Jesus can touch you in this house right now. Pastor, what if people are watching me? Don't worry about those people. They can't save you anyway. What if they judge me? Well, they can't judge you on judgment day, so their judgment is irrelevant. There is an all-seeing, all-knowing, almighty God that has stepped down into this house today that desires to touch you right where you are. All you've got to do today is take a step of faith and say, Jesus, I want to be made whole. I want to be made whole. So if you're here right now and you want to be made whole, I want you to slip your hands up into the air. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. I pray over this congregation right now, Lord. I pray over every child of God that you have brought to this place. Lord, for our guests that you've brought today, I pray over them. Plead the blood of Jesus over them. I pray for every man, every woman, every child that's in this place right now, Father, that your love would envelop them, that you would wrap your arms of love around them right now, that they would understand love like they have never known. Father, your love is on a measure that we cannot understand. It's on a measure that we cannot comprehend. And I release the love of Jesus in this house today. I release the love of Jesus in this house. I release the love of Jesus in this house. Hallelujah. Let your love come past us today.
Let your love surround us today, God. What we lack in understanding, what we lack in revelation right now, let your spirit and your love surround us. God, revelation will come if we'll just fall in love with you. Understanding will come if we'll just fall in love with you today. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Let the church say amen. As we dismiss today, there's an interesting portion in this scripture that when Jesus touches the man, he says to him, take up your bed and walk. Why didn't Jesus just let him leave his bed there? I'll tell you why. Because the next morning when he woke up and realized the bed was still there, he could go right back and lay at the same porch. But Jesus said, if I'm going to touch your life, I want to be sure that you don't leave the bed here to come back to. When he touches you, he touches you all the way. He heals you all the way. He can fix you all the way. You don't have to go to that bed of misery. You don't have to go back to that bed of addiction. I'm challenging you in Jesus' name today. Take up your bed and walk. Take up your bed and walk. Are you thankful for his mercy today? Would you fill this house with praise for his mercy?